Hello out there and welcome back to the Washington University Emergency Medicine Journal Club podcast, July 2019. This month's podcast comes on the heels of the first Journal Club of the academic year, and so I wanted it to be a good one. So we talked about early use of norepinephrine in septic shock. So what we're talking about here is starting a norepinephrine drip before you have completed fluid resuscitation in patients with septic shock. In other words, before you give that 30 per kilo fluid bolus, go ahead and start the norepinephrine early and see if that helps. Now, the management of sepsis has undergone a lot of changes in the last 20 years. Back when I was early on in my training, the big Manny Rivers paper was the talk of the town. Early goal-directed therapy, putting in a central line, measuring central venous oxygen saturation, and right atrial or central venous pressures on everybody to guide your resuscitation. Well, things have changed over time. We still, I think, do a better job now because of Manny Rivers' initial study of resuscitating patients and starting them on pressors more appropriately, even though we're not necessarily measuring central venous pressures and central venous oxygen saturation. But one of the big things that we started doing as a result of the early goal-directed therapy push was to start resuscitating patients with fluid more appropriately and more aggressively. 30 per kilo of crystalloid has sort of become the standard of care in most patients, not necessarily one size fits all, but for most people, 30 per kilo just to start your initial resuscitation. But the question is, while that 30 per kilo is being hooked up and while it's going in, do we need to wait for that before we start norepinephrine, or should we be starting it early? And there were a couple of retrospective studies looking at this over the last few years, but we didn't have a good randomized controlled trial until more recently when the Center trial came out. That Center trial is really the basis of this journal club, but of course we're going to go back and look at those earlier studies to see what they showed. So we're going to start with some of the early studies and then we'll come back around and finish up with the Center trial. And the first study we're going to look at is called Early Versus Delayed Administration of Norepinephrine in Patients with Septic Shock. The title says it all. This is the perfect paper to help answer this question. This is from Critical Care in October of 2014. This was a retrospective chart review conducted at two surgical ICUs of Jinling Hospital in Nanjing, China between January 2011 and December 2012. They enrolled adult patients with a diagnosis of septic shock with a systolic blood pressure less than 90 or a decrease in systolic blood pressure of 40 or more from baseline or a MAP of less than 65 despite resuscitation with 30 per kilo of crystalloid fluid. So keep in mind, patients were only eligible if they remained in shock after their fluid resuscitation, but that didn't mean that norepinephrine wasn't started before that fluid bolus was completed. The exposure that they measured here was the time from the onset of septic shock to the initial administration of norepinephrine, and they dichotomized that into an early administration group, those who got norepinephrine started less than two hours from the onset of septic shock, and late administration group, where they got norepinephrine started two or more hours from the onset of septic shock. The primary outcome they looked at was 28-day mortality. They enrolled 213 patients, and 59.2% of those were in the early norepinephrine group, meaning 40.8% were in the late norepinephrine group. 
And what they found was that 28-day mortality was higher in patients in the late norepinephrine group compared to the early norepinephrine group with an odds ratio of 1.86, a 95% confidence interval from 1.04 to 3.34. Now, for every hour delay in initiation of norepinephrine, the odds ratio for death was 1.2, 95% confidence interval from 1.07 to 1.35. Another way of saying that, and probably an easier way to understand it, is there was a 20.4% increase in the risk of death for every hour delay in norepinephrine administration. Now, this was a retrospective study at high risk, of course, of selection bias. So despite the fact that the two groups appear to be similar with respect to the most of the known prognostic factors they look at, there's always some unknown confounder that you have to worry about. Why did these patients get early norepinephrine earlier or later? There probably was a reason that it was either given earlier or that it was withheld. That reason likely affected the outcomes. They also really didn't look at many outcomes. Other than 28-day mortality, the only other thing they looked at was ICU length of stay, which was no different between the groups. But as my good friend and intensivist Brian Fuller likes to say, mortality isn't the only outcome we care about, especially when looking at critical care patients. Another big problem with this study is that all patients were enrolled from the surgical ICU. So this was not ER patients coming to the ER with undifferentiated sepsis who developed sepsis out of the hospital. This is patients in the hospital, in the ICU, who are identified to have sepsis. Very different patient population doesn't necessarily correlate with the patients that we see in the ER. Most of these patients were probably post-operative or post-traumatic and had different causes of sepsis than a lot of what we see in the ER, so something to consider. Still an interesting first paper that does seem to suggest that earlier administration of norepinephrine is better for patients with septic shock. The next study we looked at was early and exclusive use of norepinephrine in septic shock. This is from resuscitation in August of 2004. This, unfortunately, is another retrospective cohort study conducted in the ICU of the Austin and Repatriation Medical Center in Melbourne, Australia. They enrolled consecutive patients admitted to the ICU meeting sepsis criteria with a MAP less than 70 millimeters of mercury despite fluid resuscitation or a MAP of less than 60 irrespective of fluid resuscitation. All patients were started on a norepinephrine drip to achieve a MAP greater than 75 millimeters of mercury. So this was a single cohort study. They were not comparing two different interventions. They were simply looking at the effects of a single intervention, early use of norepinephrine for septic shock. They ended up with 142 patients in their cohort, and the median MAP when norepi was started was 60. The overall ICU survival in this study was 69.7%, and hospital survival was 65.5%. Now, here's where things get a little bit weird. What they did then is they calculated the mortality in their patients, stratified by their SAPS-2 score, and compared that to mortality predicted by their SAPS-2 score. Now, where they got that predicted mortality, they don't really say. I assume they got this from some study somewhere that demonstrated mortality in septic shock patients based on their SAPS-2 score, but they don't cite that paper anywhere that I could find. So I don't really know where they got the numbers for which they compared the mortality to. So what they found was that if your SAPS-2 score was less than 42, your mortality in the study was about 21% compared to predicted mortality of about 19%, so not a big difference. If your SAPS-2 score was 42 to 56, your mortality was about 41% compared to a predicted mortality of 46%. So pretty good improvement. 
On the other hand, if your SAPS 2 score was greater than 56, and this is the sickest of the patients, your actual mortality in the study was 50% compared to SAPS 2 predicted mortality of 75%, indicating a very significant reduction in mortality. So what they surmise here is that if you are a sick patient with septic shock, with a SAPS 2 score of 56 or more, then early administration of norepinephrine using norepinephrine and not dopamine provided a significant improvement in mortality. I was a little disappointed in this study, but I think when we talked about it at our journal club, people were actually surprisingly optimistic. This is not a study that is going to change our management now, but this study came out in 2004. At the time, we were still starting to really push for norepinephrine use for septic shock rather than dopamine use, and we were really starting to push for early use potentially after fluid resuscitation, but still using it rather than letting these people sit hypotensive. And at that time, this study came out showing that, yes, actually, you probably, again, not sure where they got their predicted mortality numbers, but you probably improved outcome by using norepinephrine and by starting it fairly early in the resuscitation. So it doesn't necessarily answer the question that we're asking now, but at least this study kind of set the stage for, yes, norepinephrine is probably good for use in septic shock and probably starting it on the earlier side is going to improve your outcomes. The next study we looked at was early administration of norepinephrine increases cardiac preload and cardiac output in septic patients with life-threatening hypotension. This is from Critical Care in 2010. This is a little bit of a different study because the outcomes they're looking at here are surrogate outcomes, and we know that from the outset. These are not patient-centered outcomes, but it's interesting nonetheless. This was a prospective observational study conducted over 16 months in the medical intensive care unit of the Bicetra University Hospital, located in the suburbs of Paris, France. Patients with septic shock who were admitted to the ICU for less than six hours with a MAP less than 65 in whom the attending physician had decided to start a norepinephrine drip or increase the dose if a drip was already started were eligible for inclusion. All patients had this baseline echocardiogram done on ICU admission and then had a PICO Plus device used to provide continuous measurements of cardiac function via transpulmonary thermodilution. They compared hemodynamic variables at two time points, before the introduction or upward titration of norepinephrine, and then again following achievement of a MAP greater than or equal to 65. So they basically checked your hemodynamic parameters using this Pico Plus device. Then they either started your norepinephrine drip or increased the dose of your norepinephrine drip because you were still hypotensive. And once you finally achieved the MAP goal, they rechecked the hemodynamic variables. And the idea here is to see, to starting norepinephrine or increasing the dose, once you attain that MAP of 65 or more, has your cardiac output decreased as a result of all of these vasopressors and your increased afterload? Or does the norepinephrine somehow itself also improve your cardiac output as a result of its inotropic capabilities? They included 105 patients in the analysis the median age was 65 years old, and mechanical ventilation was employed in 86% of the patient population. So this was a fairly sick group of patients. And what they found was that norepinephrine introduction and titration resulted in a significant increase in cardiac index, stroke volume index, global end diastolic volume index, and cardiac function index. So basically, it improved all of your cardiac parameters on hemodynamic monitoring. So not really a groundbreaking study for us today, but at the same time, what this study shows is that starting norepinephrine in patients with septic shock, despite the fact that it increases your afterload, it does not have 
detrimental effects, at least, on your cardiac output and cardiac function. If anything, it actually seems to improve those functions. So we should feel safe using norepinephrine in these patients and using it early. Again, one big downside of this study is that it was conducted in the ICU. It didn't look at the effect of ED interventions. It also didn't look at any effect of norepinephrine use relative to fluid resuscitation. So it didn't really answer our question, but still an interesting study to look at. Which brings us to our final paper, a bit more of a groundbreaking study. A recent paper, this was Early Use of Norepinephrine in Septic Shock Resuscitation, a randomized trial, the SENSOR trial, from the American Journal of Respiratory Critical Care Medicine from May of 2019, this very year. This was a double-blind, randomized, controlled trial conducted in the ED of Siraj Hospital in Mahadol University in Bangkok, Thailand between October 2013 and March 2017. They enrolled adult patients presenting to the ED who met criteria for sepsis and had a mean arterial blood pressure less than 65. If you had septic shock criteria for more than one hour, then you were excluded. So this was only early patients with septic shock. They randomized patients to either receive a norepinephrine infusion at 0.05 mics per kilogram per minute or to receive a placebo infusion for 24 hours without titration. So the drip was started, it was left at 0.05 mics per kg per minute or they were getting saline and there was no titration of this. Another big thing to note here was that it could be given peripherally or centrally. So if they didn't have a central line, didn't have any other indication for a central line, then the norepinephrine was given through their peripheral IV. All other care was at the discretion of the treating physicians, and if they needed additional pressure support, they could be started on a true norepinephrine drip that could be titrated to achieve the goal map. The primary outcome they looked at was shock control rate by six hours, and they defined that as a sustained map greater than or equal to 65 with evidence of adequate tissue perfusion. There were 310 patients enrolled with 155 in each group. And what they found was that shock control at six hours occurred more frequently in the early norepinephrine group than in the control group, 76.1% versus 48.4%. This yielded an odds ratio of 3.4 with a 95% confidence interval of 2.09 to 5.53. So pretty significant improvement. This is an NNT of about four. There was a trend toward lower mortality at 28 days in the norepi group. 15.5% versus 21.9%, but here the 95% confidence interval for the relative risk crossed one, so it did not achieve statistical significance. They also found no difference in need for mechanical ventilation or renal replacement therapy. So this is a much better study, and this is really the one that led us to look at this topic. This was a randomized controlled trial. It was performed pretty well, and they found that a non-titratable low-dose norepinephrine infusion started before fluid resuscitation had commenced, improved the rate of shock control at six hours. Now, again, this is a bit of a surrogate outcome. It doesn't necessarily correlate with patient-centered outcomes, but there was a trend towards improved mortality in these patients. The other big thing that the authors should point out was that over half of the patients who got the norepinephrine drip did so through a peripheral IV, and yet they had no incidence of limb ischemia or other concerning findings from the norepinephrine. So this probably doesn't surprise a lot of us, but it is further evidence that low-dose norepinephrine can be given safely through a peripheral IV. So there we have it. It's a single study conducted at a single site. There was no improvement in mortality, but as we always say, mortality is not the only outcome that we like to look at. 
I think for me, if I have a patient who is hypotensive and I'm starting them on aggressive fluid resuscitation while I'm hanging the fluids, I might also consider going ahead and starting a low-dose norepinephrine drip to at least give them a little bit of squeeze until we can get that fluid in. But obviously, this is one that's still going to be controversial. So that's all the evidence we have, and that's all I have to talk about this week. I want to thank you guys for listening in. As always, please check out our webpage, emjclub.com. Like us on Facebook, where we're EMJ Club, and follow us on Twitter, where we are also EMJ Club. Thank you guys for listening in, and I hope to see you back next time. <laughs>